weeks ago, a very prominent, well-known uh, pastor in the United States, but he's internationally known. Uh, and some of you will know who I'm talking about. Those of you who don't, you don't need to listen to what I'm going to say. Uh, and made an announcement, made a whole message where he recanted everything he's ever taught on tithing. Um, and actually told people to destroy the tapes and CDs that he made. So uh, that's, a, that's a serious thing for somebody of his stature to say. So I went and looked at the message. It's always good instead of criticizing to go back to the message. And I will address this more, more specifically uh, in a few weeks because what I want to talk to you in a few weeks is about how to go through, a, how to go through difficult times. Because we're facing, in case you don't know it, we're facing difficult times. And I know we hope things will get better. We hope gas prices come down and food prices come down. We hope those things will happen. But they may not. But God's always provided for and taken care of His church when we understand how to cooperate with Him. So I want to do a short series in a little while on that to help you know how to do that. But tithing is a critical part of that. As I read this man's message, or looked through this man's message, his basic change in, 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 in his teaching is, what I realize is everything I taught you is based on fear. Tithing's not based on fear. God's not the author of fear. All right? Tithing is based on worshiping and honor God as the source of everything that we have. It is Old Testament and New Testament. And it's just, it, it's, it just, so I just want to make you aware, I'm aware of it, I'm aware of, of, of the teaching out there. I'm aware that it may affect and stir up some people. But you need to go back and look at the message. The message any time a minister preaches as a reaction to something that's going on inside of him, he's going to get an error. You cannot allow your own personal issues to affect the things that you're preaching because Satan will get behind those and will use that. I preach out of things God's dealing with me about but I pray very hard to make sure that what I'm, attitudes I may have, I try to make sure my heart is as clear and clean as it can be because that's what we preach out of. And so he preaching apparently from what I read of what he said out of his own fear of what tithing means under the law and that's not what tithing is based on. So if you've heard that, just keep doing what you're doing and then wait because I'm going to address that a little more completely. Second thing I want to address completely is, just briefly, is this. There are churches around that are teaching things, and that's wonderful. Each church is supposed to do whatever the God tells the pastor to do. But they're dealing with issues that people consider relevant today. And I've heard, we had some people that have left here over a few years that have gone to other places they think are more relevant. Let me tell you what we're doing here so that you're clear on why we're talking about what we're talking about. There are two major things that I believe that are coming against the church and with the church. And one of them I'm going to talk, begin to talk about today. One of those things is hard times. I'd love to stand up here and tell you everything's going to be great and just jump up and run around. But my responsibility, our responsibility as pastors is to equip you and prepare you for what's coming. To help you learn to focus on what Christ tells us to focus on because the Bible's clear that in the last days many will be led astray. Many, many will be led astray by other doctrines that are out there and other teachings. That's, here's the danger. They sound good. They look good. 
but they're not the heart of Christ. They're not what He's told us to do. So we're trying to very much focus our teaching, focus our preaching, focus you to help you through the difficult times. And that's about as relevant as I think we can get. The second thing, which is the other side of it, which we'll talk a little about today, I believe with all my heart God is about to do something wonderful and amazing. And He's going to do it through you. He's going to do it through the church. But we have to be prepared for that and we have to be ready for that. So what you consider relevant has to do with what in God's perspective or the world's perspective or your perspective. The question is, what's relevant to God? Not what's relevant to CNN, Fox News, or what other people may be talking about online or on social media. What's relevant to God is the only thing that matters. Because when I stand before God, He's not going to ask me, did you help people deal with this issue or that issue? He's going to say, did you do what I called you to do, which is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry until we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God under the full stature that's in Christ. That's the calling of the ministry to do. And that's where our focus remains no matter what anybody else remains. And so that's why we're doing what we're doing. Amen. Praise God. Thank the Lord. I appreciate your encouragement, but it's my standing before the Lord that drives me. Praise God. And I was somebody that was raised, the way I was raised is I wanted to please everybody. And I said, God, why did you put somebody like me in a position where often nobody likes me? And I know that's not true. Well, you've got to make decisions and say things that aren't popular. And so God has used that to help mature me. We'll talk more about that Wednesday. Oh, Wednesday. Um, those of you that were here Wednesday or those of you that are interested in the notes from Wednesday, I had forgotten to send them to who I got to send them to. Uh, so they're online now. Wednesday I began a series, just going to go two messages, I think, called Why? And if you want to know why, <laughs> you can go look at it online or you can, but I'm going to continue it. It's why do we go through what we're going through? Do you ever have something happen in your life and you want God? Why? Well, you got the answer. I gave the answer on Wednesday night, and we're going to continue it on this Wednesday. All right, let's get into God's Word this morning. Let's pray as long as I can find my notes. Here they are. Praise God. Father, we thank you this morning for this wonderful time of worship. Oh, to bask in your presence, oh, Father. And and I, I just sensed inside of me how pleased you were how much you long for, Jesus said, you long for, you, you long for a people that will worship you in spirit and in truth. And we're endeavoring to do that, Lord. And we thank you for the wonderful people that committed their love and their life, and not just here and not just in rehearsals, but in their own personal worship of you to be prepared vessels to lead us into that place of worship. And we thank you that you continue to bless them and anoint them to do that. But we pray that you would help us to come along and teach us how to truly worship you, worship you in spirit and in truth. And so now we turn to your word, Father, because there's things that you want to do that you've said you're going to do, and you're not going to do them from heaven, you're going to do them through us. And so we're coming to you that you would prepare us. Give us a vision today, a vision today of what you want to do, of what you're preparing to do so that we can focus together and you can bring us to that place of unity to come together of one accord and of one mind and of one purpose. 
And for this, we thank you in advance in Jesus' name. Amen. I just, as we were worshiping, as we were praying just now, it occurred to me that, that, and I've talked about this a year ago, that the very last thing Jesus prayed before he went, when he met with his disciples, the last thing Jesus prayed when he prayed that high priestly prayer in John 17. We know he prayed in the garden, but that was for him. It was that we might be one. That we might be one. And then when they gathered together in that upper room, we'll talk a little bit about this later today, it says they were together in one accord. Yeah, you're right. They, they had one purpose, and they didn't know what it was. They just know Jesus said, before you go do anything else, you need to wait here in Jerusalem until you've received what you, I know you're going to need. So what brought them together, what gave them a focus, was that they knew they needed something from heaven to do what Jesus had given them to do. They knew they needed something, and they didn't understand exactly what it was. He told them a little bit about it. He demonstrated it for them, but they were there with that one intention. And as I just said, the focus of where we're going now, very much so, is to prepare us because there's something God wants to do through you, through me, but through us together. So we need to learn to focus together so we can be of one accord. Yes, God, I don't understand it, but I'm prepared to go where you're calling me to go, and I'm prepared to go together with one another where you're calling us to go so that you can do what it is you want, want to do. Now, I mentioned several weeks ago, it was on the July 4th weekend, that there, there are different types of messages that pastors bring, and it, some of it depends on the kind of gifting they are. And we're blessed here. We have different gifts here. We have teachers, pure teachers. We have Pastor Ray as a preacher. He teaches somebody he's a preacher. He'll stir you up to do what God's telling you to do, and you'll be jumping and shouting, and we, we need that. And then, but there's a, there's a type of ministry which is called prophetic. And uh, several weeks ago, and you're gonna, I think we're going to hear more of these. It doesn't mean that I'm a prophet. It doesn't mean prophecy in the sense of foretelling what's going to happen, but there are certain words that God gives to the, 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 that are anointed to speak out into the spiritual atmosphere, to declare certain things. And, 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 and this is what this message is intended to do. The other thing I thought about it in preparation is the Apostle Paul, in, in, in most of his letters that he wrote to churches, churches that he, cre- that he founded and churches that he was addressing issues in, start out with usually the first half of it is reminding them of who they are in Christ, reminding them of what God has done for them. He's calling them back to a vision of who they are and why they're here, and then he begins to address what they need to do because of that. And that's the sense I have for this message today. When I look out over the culture we're living in, and I, you know, I just want to stick my head in the sand and say, God, take me home. <laughs> I don't know how to deal with all this. I just don't know how. Not only do I know how to deal with it myself, we've got generations that are growing up in this from the church. How do I help them to deal with all this? And it's overwhelming, and it's not getting better. It's getting worse. So I almost just cry out to God, and this is what prayer today has got to be. God, there's nothing we can do. There's no program we have. 
There's no message we can give. There's nothing we can do that can, can, can change or impact this in any way. And that's exactly right. But God is able. But God is able. And God has put us here not to wring our hands, not to, not to, to bemoan what we're going through, not to get discouraged, not to stick our head in the sand. God has put us here, put you and me here. Out of all of eternity, He chose you and me to be here at such a time as this for this purpose. What an amazing honor that is. And the Bible tells us that the prophets of old look forward to this time with great longing. And Hebrews 12:1 says that the, the, all those who have gone before us are looking over the banister of heaven, cheering us on. So not only that we won't quit, but we'll finish a course of why we're here. And those that are over the banister include those that have been leaders here that have gone on to that reward. And they're looking over the banister of heaven now. They know what's going on. They may not know the details, but they know spiritually where we are. And they're rooting us on. They're rooting us on. Well, there was a time in Israel's history that was somewhat like this. Israel was divided into two parts after Solomon. There was the northern nation of ten tribes, Israel, and then there was the southern two tribes called Judah. And this is the tribe we're going to talk about, the part of... So I may say Israel, but I'm talking about the two tribes of, uh, that were in the southern part called Judah. The northern part rejected God. They didn't just backslide, they just rejected God and the Assyrians came in and just dispersed them throughout all the land. But the southern tribe, although they, 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 they were worldly, although they, 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 were, they had other idol, the idols that they worshipped, that they never formally rejected God. They served Him with their lips, but their hearts were far from them. So God addressed, dealt with them differently. Instead of scattering them and dispersing them, he had the nation of Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar come in and captive, cap, take them captive and bring them back to Babylon. He left a remnant there. But bring the, and what, what the Babylonians did, instead of dispersing them, they just let them do whatever they want and they assimilated them into their culture and into their society. But there was a remnant of Jews that refused to compromise and become part of the Babylonian society and they held on to their faith and their practice and God used that as a method of sifting out those whose hearts were really for Him and those who were just serving Him because it was the thing to do. And I believe we're in a sifting process. Now, COVID was a sifting process. When we had to shut the church down, immediately the first thing I ever thought, and I may not finish this today, we we shut down, the first thing that I felt God tell me is now we're going to sort out who comes to church, who's who's committed to church because that's where their heart is, and those who do it as an obligation because now they've got a great excuse not to watch online. They've got a great excuse to not come because that's what nobody else is doing. It's a sifting process. God sifts us. We'll talk a little bit about that on Wednesday night. God tests us to find out what's in us so that we find out what's in us. He always does it with the idea of redemption and of maturing and of bringing out in us the best that's in us if we allow Him to do that. That's what's going on with this nation that's now gone into captivity. But God's so faithful to them to encourage them, He gave them some prophets. And one of the prophets He gave them was Ezekiel. 
And there's a refrain that goes through it which says, so that they would know that there's a prophet in the land. In other words, they would know that God's still speaking to them. That God has somebody there because he has a hope for them. He has a purpose for them. He knows where they are. He knows what they're going through. And he has to give them a vision of what was to come so they would have hope and they would have a focus and they would have a purpose. And that's why we're going to begin to look at what we're going to begin to look at today. So go with me. Go with me to Ezekiel chapter 43. So God's given them another prophet named Ezekiel. Because very much the church the way it is today, and I'm not talking specifically about here, but generally the church today worships God with our mouth, but not with our hearts. So here's a vision. God has, uh, in chapter 40, we're not going to look there, but in chapter 40 God gives Ezekiel another vision. He gives him a series of visions. But he gives him a vision which is about the future. And the vision is, 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 to, is, is there's a man that comes to him and he's going to guide him. And now we're going to pick up on that. Afterwards, he brought me, this man, to the gate. What he's going to show Ezekiel is a vision of the temple. Now, why, why that? Because to- Solomon built a temple after David, his father, died. Solomon built a temple, this glorious temple in Jerusalem. And then the, the, the Babylonians came in and burned it. They burned it. Eventually, the Romans came in in, 19, in, in in 70 AD, and they just destroyed it all but the Western Wall, which is the only thing that remains. But at this point, it's been burned. It's been destroyed. So there's a, this is a vision of a new temple. A temple is a place that God would dwell in. Afterwards, he brought me to the gate, to the gate that faces towards the east. He's showing him a vision of this new temple. Behold, the glory of God, Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. And it was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when I came to, when I came to destroy the city, the vision, the vision which I had by the river Chebar. I don't have time to go into what that is. When I, when I fell on my face. Keep going. And the glory of the Lord came into the temple by way of the gate which faces to the east. Now we sang this morning about God, the presence of God, that we dwell, dwell. This is the vision is God is physically in all of his glory to dwell in this temple. The glory of the Lord came into the temple by way of the gate which faces east. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me to the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And then I heard him speaking to me from the temple while a man stood beside me. And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne, the place of the soles of my feet. In other words, this is where I'm going to dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. No more shall the house of Israel defile my holy name, nor shall their kings. We'll stop there. We'll stop there. Okay. So what's this about? This is a vision of what's called the manifest presence of God. What is that? Well, we all know that, that, that if you're a Christian, God lives in you through the Holy Spirit. So God's presence is here. Jesus said, if two or more are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. So we know by faith that when we come together, not only is he here in us, because you brought him in here, but he's also here among us because we're gathered together in his name. But there's a level of God's presence that's beyond that. It's called the manifest presence of God. Manifest means you can see it, 
Feel it, touch it. Your senses can confirm the presence of God. And that manifest presence will change you. When you get to heaven, ask the Apostle Paul. This was a man determined to destroy Christianity. And he had an experience with the manifest presence of Christ on the road to Damascus. And not only did it turn him around, it turned the world upside down. And God desires to manifest His presence when we come together. I've read stories of the old days under, Pastor, under Brother Hagen and others where the glory would begin to, the, cloud, the glory cloud of God would begin to roll in from the back and roll over the congregation like a heavy mist. Like a heavy mist. It's the presence, the presence of God. And when the presence of God arrives, you can't stand up. It's not because anybody tells you to fall down, kneel down. Uh, the presence of God, the weightiness, the glory of God means the weightiness. The, 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 I can always put it into words. Can't put it into words. It's the essence of God. And He wants to do that to be among us. God's heart is not just, just to be in us that we might know who He is. God's heart is to have a physical relationship with you, tangible relationship with you. That's why Jesus went to the cross. It's His invitation for you to come. And this people that's now in exile lost their homes, lost their temple. God's giving this prophet a vision to share with the people to give them a hope and a focus of what God wants to do. And this is what we're going to look at this morning, this vision. Now, although this is speaking of Israel, and it, it applies to the church, because there's different levels of this prophetic message. Let's just show them Ezekiel 36. This is part of this prophetic message. Then I shall sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. And I will cleanse you from your filthiness and from your idols. And I will give you a new heart, that's the new creation, and put a new spirit in you. That's the new creation. And I will take that heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a new heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. He's talking about the church. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and to keep my judgments and to do them. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. If by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you win. So he's referring to, to Israel, but it's the spiritual Israel. The spiritual Israel is the church. The church spiritually in Israel, the spiritual Israel, are one. All right, that's a whole other teaching. So let's go to Ezekiel 47. Let's look at the vision. that once, the, once he takes him through, he shows him the different rooms of this temple, and now he brings us, and this is what we're going to talk about. This is something the Lord showed me a number of years ago in a time of fasting and prayer here, about us praying for the future of the church. What do you have for this church? What do you have? What do we need to do? And he took me here as well as something else. And then he brought me by the back door of the temple, and there's water flowing from under the thresholds of the temple towards the east, for the front of the temple faced east and the water was flowing from under the right side of the temple south of the altar. I'm going to read down through this and then we're going to go back. And he brought me out by way of the north gate 
and he led me around on the sides of the outer gateway that faces east, and there was water running out of the right side. And when the man went out to the east with the line in his hand, this is a measuring line, which he, he backs in chapter 40, he gives him. And he measured 1,000 cubits, and he brought me through the waters, and the water came up to my ankles. And then he measured another 1,000 and brought me through the waters, and the water now came up to my knees. They're walking further away, out deeper into this river, into this river of water. And again he measured 1,000 and brought me through, and the water came up to my waist. And again he measured 1,000, and it was now a river that I could not cross, for the water was too deep. Water in which one must swim, a river that could not be crossed. Keep going. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of the river. And when I returned there along the bank of the river were many trees on one side and the other. And then he said to me, The water flows towards the eastern region that goes down through the valley and it enters the sea. And when it reaches the sea, the waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves... Wherever the rivers go, will live. And there will be great multitude of fish because of these waters that go there, for they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. It shall be that fishermen will stand by it from Engedi to Engilam, and there will be places for the spreading of their nets, and their fish will be the same kinds of fish as of the great sea, exceedingly many. But its swamps and its marshes will not be healed. They'll be given over to salt. And along the bank of the river on the sides, and that will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither. Their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because the water flows from the sanctuary and their fruit will be food. What in the world is this all about? Well, first of all, this is the foretelling of God's fulfilling of His desire to dwell among His people. The river represents, the water in the river represents, water represents life. Because if you think about it, we need food. But you can go for food for many days. But you can't go without water for very long at all because you're like 90% water. And you need water to live. So water represents life. It also represents the Holy Spirit because He's the Spirit of life. So water here, in fact, back in Genesis chapter 2, we see in the middle of what God created, there's a river. There's a river of life. And back at the end in Revelation chapter 22, there's the river of life that throws out of the throne of God. So this is a river of life that's the flow out of the temple, which is the dwelling place of God. And the temple represents to us the church and the, and, the, and the manifest presence of God. You understand, the church isn't this building. The church is the body of Christ. It's the called out ones. It's you and me, those who have given our life to Christ and received and put our trust in Him for our salvation. In Him, God has put His Spirit, you. And that is, you are the presence of God. But the manifest presence of God is what the world needs to see. The manifest presence of God is what the world needs to see. It's what the world saw when God became a man 
and walked among them. He didn't just talk. There was the manifest presence of God. So, the water flowing out of the temple flows from under the altar. The altar is the place of worshiping God's presence. That's what we did this morning. And what is imparted in that worship is to flow outside the temple. As in the day of Pentecost, when it could not be contained. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. The river gets deeper. Look at this. The farther you go out. And that's very significant. So the question is, how far are we willing to go in the Spirit? Ankle deep means you're experiencing the wetness. That's what most Christians do. They come Sunday morning, they feel some goosebumps, and they feel it wasn't that wonderful. And they leave being satisfied with getting their feet wet. Ankle deep now begins to affect how you walk. Because if you've ever walked in the ocean and you're, and you're I mean, knee deep, I'm sorry, knee deep. Because now it, you know, it affects how you walk. So, but you're still, your confidence is still in your ability to stand on your own two feet. Boy, that would preach. And then he goes and gets waist deep. At waist deep, you've got less control, but you're still standing on your own two feet. Isn't that what we're told? You need to, stand, you need to learn to stand on your own two feet. That's true in the things of the world. But God's teaching them here, you need to go further. Because when you get beyond your waist and it gets so deep you have to swim, you're no longer trusting in your own feet. You now have to trust in the water to hold you up its buoyancy and to carry you where you want to go. (laughs) My watch, (laughs) my watch warming, you just took a hard fall. (laughs) I love technology. <laughs> you're totally held up by the water, which means you've got to completely trust in the water to hold you up. And when you learn to swim, that's one of the things they teach you. If you stop struggling, you stop struggling against and just let it float, it will hold you up. It's when you struggle, when you try to control it, when you try to take care of yourself, that you'll begin to sink. So the question is. How far are you willing to go? How deep into the flow of the Spirit in your life personally? We can't do something here that's not happening in our life. How far are you willing to trust Him? This is what God's working with me about. The river goes out into the sea and wherever it goes, it brings life. Now remember the world we're living in. This is what we're talking about. The world we're living in is darkness, dying, The culture is destructive. It's demonic in many ways. Destructive, and it's not just that now. We've got diseases and things like that which are demonic and they're destructive and we've got... It's just the darkness is just bearing in on this world to take control. And the only thing that can turn this around is this river of life that's more powerful than the darkness. But it's got to flow out of the walls, the doors of the church... It's got to flow out into the community. It's got to flow out into our neighborhoods. It's got to flow out into our families. And it's not a program. It's not a teaching. It's not a book. It's the manifest presence of God. And there's nowhere else it can come from but out of God's own people. Because that's the only place that He lives in the earth. 
today. And notice that wherever it went, wherever it went, it brought life. The water brings healing, it brings wholeness, and that's just what Jesus did. It's restoring what Satan restored in the, what Satan destroyed in the garden. The river is springing of life springing up. And then verse 10 talks about fishermen who stand on the banks and cast their nets into the river. That's us. Remember in, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, you can put that up there. Jesus called his disciples and he said, Up until now you've been, you've been fishermen, but now I'm going to make you fishers of men. The net is our working together to bring the fish in. They're there. The river will make them available, but now we've got to be willing to bring, bring them in. Bring them in. The net is our working together. Ephesians 4. There it is. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now go to Ephesians 4. I talked about this earlier. And he gave him some self, uh, some, some, these are gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Stop there. That word equipping is a Greek word that means to mend or to make whole in order to prepare for a purpose. And when, when we looked at, at Matthew 4, when Jesus called his disciples, because he went from there to call John and his brother, uh, John and uh, his brother, it says they were mending their nets. That's the same word. So the, the, the ministry gifts are given to equip us as fishermen with our nets to bring the fish in that the river of life makes alive. It's used to refer mending of nets to do the work of the ministry. And then the last thing we see is this, the catch in this last day will be a great catch of many fish. So out of the darkness out there, out of the overwhelming situations and circumstances and movements and all the stuff that's out there, there is a great catch of souls that God is yearning to bring in and to rescue before everything closes down and this period comes to an end. We're in an age where grace is preached so much and I believe it with all my heart. But understand this, grace is just a parenthesis in time. There was a time before grace and there will be a time after grace when the wrath and judgment of God will come upon the earth and the grace is a period of time that God has reserved to minister His grace, His mercy to those that will hear but they can't hear unless somebody tells them. And we're in that time, but we're coming near the end of that last parenthesis, I believe. But in verse 11, we notice that, that there's a place, there's swamps. And there are marshes. And it says that there, the water there will stagnate and there will be no life there. Those are the places, the churches, that are not willing to flow with the Spirit of God to work. They want, what, what, is, what is a marsh? A marsh is where the water that came 20 years ago is the same water today. The way we did things before is the way we're going to do things now. Bless God, we've always done it this way and we're always going to do it this way. Well, you're going to be a marsh. And it stagnates. And eventually it starts smelling and mosquitoes begin to grow in there and other kind of things begin to grow in there. 
Well, we've always done it that way. This is why I talked to you earlier this year about change. You've got to be willing to change. and That means let go of the way things were done. We've got transitions and changes that we've talked about, even leadership changes, and you've got to understand those are vital so that things can continue to flow and begin to flow. We can't hold on to the way things were always done. When I took over, I had to deal with, well, Pastor Sam used to do this, and Pastor Sam used to do this, and I'm not Pastor Sam. And Pastor Chris is not Pastor John, even though he's my son. Pastor Ray is not Pastor John. I'm Pastor John. That's why they try to get me to dress more youthful. This is it. (laughs) I've thought about it, but this is me. I don't want to be something I'm not, okay? I'm comfortable with the tie-off. I'm comfortable with that. But this is who I am. But I don't require the other ministers to dress the way I drew. You want to be respectful and honor, but want to be who you are. But this is who I am, so I'm not going to... But we need to move on in order for the Spirit of God. And, and I believe God told me this, and this is... I'm, now I'm going to be public. <laughs> that if I don't make the changes we're making, I'm in His way. Amen. And I can see ways that I would be in His way just because of the way God's building. doesn't mean I'm going away. God's still going to use me. But we have to be willing to change. Yes. Otherwise, we're a marsh. And the problem is a marsh doesn't know it's a marsh because the people are comfortable. The biggest enemy, the biggest enemy to God doing what He wants to do is we're comfortable. If your goal in church is to be comfortable, this is not the place to be. If your goal in life is to be comfortable, this is not the place to be. (laughs) God never called us to be comfortable. In fact, He called us to be uncomfortable. Jesus didn't promise you to be happy. See, many people's goal in life is to be happy. Well, you'll be miserable. What Jesus said, in this world you will have happiness. No, in this world you will have tribulation. That's a biblical word for trouble. But, fear not, I have overcome the world. God's placed us in a world that hates us. Why does it hate us? Because it sees Christ in you. That's why it hates you, because it hates Christ. This is why the early disciples rejoiced when they were persecuted, because it proved that people saw Christ in them. And the reason we fall away from that is we don't see Him enough in us and one another. Oh, I got way off my mark today. Okay, we got to move forward. All right. Okay, so that's Old Testament, John chapter 7. Background here. This is near the end of a week of of a festival called the Festival of Tabernacles, where they would come in, it was a celebration of when the people lived in Israel in in the wilderness in Boots. And, and, And the practice was every day they would go and take a pitcher of water, they would take a pitcher of water, um, from, uh, uh, from under the temple pool, a golden pitcher, and they would come to the altar and they'd pour it out and it was symbolic of God bringing water out of the rock. So this was remembering God's faithfulness in the wilderness to them. And on the last day of it, what was significant is the, high, the priest would not have the water and he would cry out, who is thirsty? Jesus chose that moment to show up and say this, 
on the last day, the great day of the feast, when the priest cries up and says, Who's thirsty? Who has the water? Jesus cries out and says, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Verse, verse. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So this river of life that we've just read in Ezekiel is to flow out of the church, is to flow out of you and me. But not just you and me separately, it's you and me collectively together. The Bible, Jesus hasn't called us to be 500 individuals that come to church and 500 individuals that leave. He's called us to be the body of Christ to be a community of believers who are the body of Christ. And it is out of, that's why Satan works so hard to bring divisions, to get us into arguments and fights over should you get a shot or shouldn't you get a shot? Should you vote this way? Should you vote that way? Should we be thinking this way? All of that is satanic to divide the body of Christ because Satan knows the power that's in the unity In John chapter 4, Jesus speaks of another water, the woman at the well. He says, if you knew who I was, you would ask of me and I would give you living water. That's like a fountain of water that springs up. A fountain is a source of drinking water. And Jesus is talking about the presence of the Spirit of God in you as a believer to bring up that life in you, that refreshing, the life of God. He's a con- Every morning you get up, that fountain of life, the Spirit of God in you is there for you to draw deeply of the waters of life and refreshing that you need for that day. That's the Spirit of God in you. But Jesus is talking about rivers, rivers. There's a difference between a river and a fountain. We've got a number of water fountains around here, but you don't even know they're there unless you go up to them. Most of them aren't working right now because of COVID. But, but, that you, but, they could, but if there's a river flowing through here, you know it's there. I mean, look, Kentucky, look at this disaster. You know when a river's there. If you get near Niagara Falls, you know that there's water there. So God's plan is that what flows out of the church, the world's going to know it's flowing out of the church. That's going to know Rivers of living water. Let's go to Acts chapter 2 quickly. We're not going to have time to read down through all of this. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, with one accord in one place, they were in what? What accord? Wait a minute, go back. They were where? One accord in one place. Okay, keep going. And suddenly, I believe what's going to happen is going to happen suddenly. So don't miss it. Don't miss it. Well, you know, I didn't feel like coming today. That may be the day. Suddenly there came from heaven the sound of a mighty rushing wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting and there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each one of them and they were all filled. They were all filled. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And I'm not going to go on because we don't have time. What happened is now they spill out into the streets. And there's, there's a joy, there's a power, there's a light flowing out and they couldn't keep in the church. It flowed out, but it flowed out in them. It flowed out and it began to gather a crowd around them. 
It wasn't because they had just a great website. It wasn't because they were on social media. Those are things that are wonderful. But the, but the Holy Spirit created the advertising. And people gathered and they were wondering, what is going on here? Because they knew it was supernatural. See, when the Spirit of God moves, it's supernatural. It's supernatural. And they wondered whether they were drunk. So it draws a crowd. It has an impact. People in this city knew something was going on in that church. I know it wasn't a church, but they know something was going on. And it burst something that turned the world upside down. This little group of 120, because the Spirit of God poured out of them, it became the most dominant religion, at least at the time. Christ spread throughout the world because it wasn't the program of a man. It was the power of the Spirit of God. And it was a boldness that with us. Peter, the man who only a few weeks before denied to a little servant girl that he knew who Jesus was, now stands boldly up and tells them what this is. This is what was prophesied by the, by the, by the prophet Joel. That I will, in that day I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And my sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will dream dreams and young men... I keep have visions. I keep getting mixed up because I'm not sure whether I'm old or a young man yet. So I, get, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know which is which. And then the result of it is 3,000 people came and said, what must we do? And Peter under that same anointing says, you must repent and receive this Christ. Oh, and by the way, he's the one you crucified. He's saying this to the same men he was afraid to talk with only a few weeks. So there's a boldness that didn't come out of some program. It didn't come out of a prayer meeting. It came out of a prayer meeting, excuse me. It didn't come out of some... It came out of the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what has to happen. By the way, the book of Acts is the only book in the Bible that's not finished yet. It's still being written today. And the question is, what can he write through us? Let's end by going to James chapter 5. Therefore be patient. He's talking about some things they've got to go through. Until the coming of the Lord. Well, he's coming closer now than he was then. Now he gives a lesson. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth waiting patiently for it until he receives the early and the latter rain. Until he receives the early and the latter... Verse 8. So you also be patient and establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Go back to verse 7. Now that day of Pentecost, there were two critical parts of the season, harvest season. One was the planting of the, of the seed and the other was the harvest. So there were two critical times when it had to rain. You know that. If you plant a garden, you've got to, the first thing you've got to do with grass is you water it. You water it so the seed will germinate. So it was critical that they have rain when the seed was planted. But the next critical time was right before the harvest, they had to have rain. So this is prophetically talking about the first rain, which is what we just read on the day of Pentecost. The first rain that planted the seed 
in the earth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a harvest time coming that I believe has already started in some parts of the world. In order for that harvest to be brought in, there has to be a latter rain, and that refers to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that's what must happen. That's what we're talking about. That's what God is preparing us to do. He's been most likely working in your life if you've been sensitive. The message Pastor Chris brought last week about surrender. I didn't know that's what he was going to talk about, and, and I, he didn't know what I was going to talk about. It all fits together. It's all preparing us so that God can use us as a vessel through whom He can pour out the water, the refreshing water of life. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, how deep am I willing to walk in this river? Am I willing to go out to the point where I have no more control and I put, surrender my control? That wonderful song we sing, Oceans, this is what that song's about. It's referring to this. Take me where my feet can no longer wander. Are you willing to let go of your life and trust it to the Holy Spirit to guide your life? Are you willing? Or do you want to be comfortable? Do you want to stay where you are? Do you want this church to stay where it is? Do you want us to hold on to what we've always known and keep things the way we are? Then there'll be water here, but it'll be stagnant. It will be a marsh, and no life will flow through it. Instead, other things begin to breed. In fact, Satan breeds his mosquitoes and his bugs in stagnant water. When we're not flowing with the Spirit of God, we begin to look at each other differently. We begin to let things in our hearts that, 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 that are toxic. We begin because we're not flowing. If you're not flowing, what happens is you're stagnant. And if you're stagnant, then you're, you're, you're ripe. Your heart is ripe for Satan to sow discontent in. Well, I wonder why they're not doing this anymore. I wonder why they're talking about this. I wonder, and you begin to get offended. And then you start, as Pastor Sam said, sitting towards the back. And you cut from the back, I love you, okay? And I'm not talking about you. Or, or they start finding excuse not to come into the service. I'm coming, but they hang out in the foyer talking to somebody else, usually about things they shouldn't be talking about. What you're doing is you're opening your heart. You're opening your heart to, to Satan to sow seeds of discontent in your heart because he's trying to stop the Spirit of God, the Spirit of life, from flowing through you. And I sense in my spirit, there's some of you here this morning, you know what I'm talking about because you've sensed either this in your heart or somebody coming to you to sow seeds of discontent. And contentment is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Content, be content. Doesn't mean you have to be satisfied, but be content. Because discontent, discontent is a form of being unthankful. Discontent is selfish. Discontent is looking at myself, and you've taken your eyes off the Spirit of God and what He wants to do. So we're going to begin to talk next time about what God wants to do and is already doing to begin to bring about this change. Father, we thank you today for your infinite patience with us. We thank you, Father, that you would choose such as us, and you know us better than we know ourselves, to call us here 
at this place, and many others are called in many other places, but you've called us here at this place. For 43 years you've had this church here, and you've called us here at this time. Many have come and gone, but you've called us here at this time. You've chosen us to be here at this time for such a time as this, for what you want to do here and what you want to do through us. And this morning you've painted a picture for us as you did for Ezekiel to give those people a vision and a hope for what is to come. And you paint a picture and a vision for us today of what is coming soon, I believe. Lord, help us in our own hearts. Help us in our own hearts to recognize what's been going on inside, those things that are of you, that are bringing preparation in our hearts, and those things that are of the enemy of our soul who's trying to distract us and pull us from where you've called us. I take authority in the name of Jesus over every spirit, every spirit that's been assigned to sow seeds of discontent, to sow seeds of division. I take authority in the name of Jesus as the spiritual head of this house right now. And I command you to leave. You have no place in this place. When people walk in here, that has to leave in the name of Jesus. The blood of Jesus covers the walls of this church, covers the souls of these people. And Satan, that blood has defeated you and you cannot cross that bloodline. In the name of Jesus. Spiritual warfare, I hear. Spiritual warfare will not go unopposed. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. But you have an enemy of your soul. His name is the accuser of the brethren. And he will use accusations against you and accusations against others to distract you and draw you from the work of God in your heart. That peace, peace be the umpire in your soul. And Father, we commend ourselves, commit ourselves into your spirit to do the work in us that only he can do. For you are at work in us both to will and to do your good pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen.